And let's give Mark some encouragement. Why don't you say a prayer in your heart for him as he comes to share God's word with us. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, so, uh, yeah, privileged to come and speak um, today. And uh, we are continuing our series uh, called Brave. Oh, yeah, look, behind. When I was watching Philippa last week, I was trying to kind of see if you could line up. If you stand here on the live stream, it just says Rave, uh, which is a, a di that's a series that's going to come. And I was trying to look to see if you could do other things. Anyway, um, that's just my sense of humor, sorry. Uh, my name is Mark Bishop. I'm the associate minister here at St. Paul's. I know many of you, uh, those who I don't know, it's great and a privilege to be able to share something from Scripture with you today as well. And my prayer is that we all uh, really hear from God and are able to go away from here uh, knowing something more of the power uh, of God at work in our life because of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, this series has been really, we've really kind of just begun it. Philippa started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Joshua 1, be strong and courageous, be brave to go. Gareth preached a cracker last week. If you haven't seen that, please go and watch that as well. Um, really good, talking about the spies uh, going and meeting Rahab, uh, that there is hope no matter who you are or where you come from, there is hope in this story that God wants us to hear, uh, and uh, that help is on the way. And now we arrive at Joshua 3, and uh, the whole of the nation of Israel getting ready to cross over into the promised land through the Jordan. And I'm going to invite Anne and Chris Blair up, who are going to do our reading. Where are you guys? Oh, yeah, you're over here. Perfect. I'm going to be your tech guy, so I'm just going to guess your height, Chris. Yeah, that way, that way. Yeah, you got on. Right. Uh, the reading for today is taken from the book of Joshua, chapter three verses 1 to 17. That is the whole of the chapter. Early in the morning, Joshua and all of the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions, follow it. Then you will know which way to go. Since you have been this way, you've never been this way before, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, 
come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive you out, certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Soon we are the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. Soon we are the covenant of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now, now then, choose 12 from, 12 men from the tribes of Israel, two for each tribe, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant, that the Lord of, of all the earth, set forward in the step, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So, when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yet, as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adad in the vicinity vicinity of Zarephath, while the water flowing down to the sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Chris and Anne. Amazing. Uh, it's no small thing to come and give a reading, especially when somebody gives you a whole chapter and it's got really awkward words in it. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. Um, it means a lot, doesn't it, when we speak the word of God. It's a powerful thing. So um, yeah, this is uh, a great gift to us already. Um, so we're with Israel and we're about to cross the Jordan and uh, it's a mighty river in flood. I don't know if you've ever looked at a river in flood before or witnessed kind of water at that point where it is intimidating and like there's something amazing about it but deeply scary and intimidating. Uh, Carrie and I once had to cross uh, a mighty river in flood. Well, it, I, actually, it wasn't in flood. Um, it wasn't very mighty river. It was, well, it was, we had to cross, well, okay, let me just explain to you. Um, so, uh, Carrie and I used to live in West London, in Acton, um, and I know there's some people who love Acton here as well. We love Acton. Did you know there's a West London? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> crazy, crazy. Um, but, um, we, we lived in Acton, and uh, we'd been there for a while. We got married there, and um, I was a curate. That's a trainee priest uh, at a church there. And I'd, we'd, I'd come to the end of my training. We were discerning, what are we going to do next, God? And we had a real strong sense of call to move into this one neighborhood called Acton Vale. And uh, there's a little council estate there um, that was built by Italian prisoners of war, 
uh, just after the Second World War, and we felt very specifically that God was calling us to live on the Vale Estate, on that estate. And so we w- embarked on this journey, really, which involved us living in a few different houses. And um, as we kind of went along, we, we kind of got into a place where we were just so longing to live on the estate, and yet we weren't. And I wonder if you've been in places where you've longed to be at like kind of point A, point B, sorry, the destination, but you find yourself over at point A, thinking, oh, how on earth do I get there? Will I ever get there? Well, we were in that place and very kind of physically and literally, and there weren't any properties coming up on the estate. There was nothing. And we were, just, uh, we were just really struggling. And anyway, we ended up in another kind of crux moment. God provided an amazing amount of money that meant we could rent uh, a new flat, which was actually quite close to the estate, on a road called Warpole Way. Now, uh, bear with me while I just explain something else. Did you know that there are lots of hidden rivers in London? Who knew that? Oh, look. Such an educated group. I mean, amazing. Look at that. Uh, there was a time in my life when I didn't know that, and uh, you might be with me in that. Uh, but there are, there's loads of hidden rivers in London. Uh, so um, I'm going to just tell you quickly about a few of them. Very famous ones, the River Fleet, Fleet Street. I mean, the road names are often uh, named after them. It starts in Hampstead Heath, and it runs, in fact, it's the river that feeds the swimming ponds up at Hampstead. Um, and Highgate. It, it comes down through Camden Town, under King's Cross, and it joins the Thames at Blackfriars Bridge. This is not like an old, just an old river. This is an existing river that is now essentially in a pipe underneath London. The River Walbrook goes from Finsbury Circus through the city of London, under the Bank of England, which is saying something because it's about eight floors deep, the Bank of England, um, and joins the Thames at Southwark and Cannon Street by the river. Uh, I like this one, very East London one that's been buried, Black Ditch. This goes through Bethnal Green to Stepney and joins the Thames at Dunbar Wharf in Limehouse. Uh, And... There was a river, or there is a river, that goes underground from Wormwood Scrubs in West London uh, all the way down through Acton Vale and finds itself meeting the river uh, somewhere near Hammersmith. And the road that we moved on to was called Warple Way, and we discovered that there were certain drain covers that if you stood by them and listened, welcome to my world, uh, I'm the guy stood by drain covers listening. Uh, you could hear water flowing and it wouldn't stop because it was the drain cover for the submerged river from London. And God began to speak to us at that moment before we'd reached what was our promised land at that point, this is the estate. Because our flat was not on the west side of the street, it was on the east side of the street. And we realized that we had crossed the river. And it was massive for us. We started to read Joshua 3. Oh, Lord, we've crossed the river. We've crossed the river. It must be soon. 
And there were so many things. Carrie was pregnant with Freya at the time. There was a whole load of things. You know, so many people who looked at us and we looked like those foolish Christians. Irresponsible in the world's eyes, but responsible in God's eyes. Uh, going for what he wanted us to go for. And yeah, within under a year, we were living in an amazing flat right in the middle of the estate. Freya had been born amazingly, safely, and uh, we were embarking on life and mission there. We had crossed the river. I wonder what it might look like for you to cross over different things. In fact, what I want to ask more specifically today, what I think is what God wants to speak into is, what does it mean for us to walk through things in order to reach the other side? You know, Israel had to pass through the Jordan, and we, in our own way, maybe every day, have little rivers which we need to go through in order to get to the other side. There may be things that you've been struggling with for years that you need to know again today that God is calling you to go through it in order to reach the other side, that there is another side. I think this is what God wants to talk to us about today, that we should be a people who are brave to move through things, even when they're difficult. Brave to move through things. And so I just want to make a few different kind of points out of the passage uh, and then kind of come back to what does that mean for us today. Uh, and my first point is this, that Israel had to move through the waters of temptation. It's a serious one this morning. Through the waters of temptation. Joshua says... Uh, to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, it's a funny word, consecration. Some of you may know what it means already. Uh, others may not. It means this, to be holy, to be sacred, to be set apart for something, to be dedicated, pure, and innocent, to show oneself as holy. Well, for Israel, this was a very complex thing. They had, uh, and we can read it in uh, like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, uh, all of these different ways in which they could consecrate themselves, set themselves apart uh, as holy. They were very practical things. It involved a lot of washing and uh, it involved abstaining from different things. And of course, in the uh, for Israel, as they went through the desert with the tabernacle, it involved sacrifice and specific ways to offer things to God so that God could then make them holy. In Israel, there was a keen sense that there were things that got in the way of God's holiness being able to do what it wanted to do. Whether it was sin in their own life, uh, whether it was corporate sin, things that they were choosing as a community which were bad, whether it was just things for them that they had come into contact with. There were such complex things. And it gets called the holiness code uh, in the Old Testament. It is the, the code, uh, the program through which Israel were to keep themselves clean, to set themselves apart, to be consecrated. So when Joshua tells everybody, consecrate yourselves, they knew what to do. They could go to the list, they could check through it, they could make sure that they were doing those things. But underneath the practical uh, actions, 
there was also a deep challenge for each of them because it didn't mean that they wouldn't be tempted uh, to enter into things which were for them were unclean. So whilst God had given this whole holiness code, uh, there was this need for, for the Israelites to make themselves holy uh, in order to see these amazing things happen. We even see it in Exodus uh, 19, verses 10 to 25. Uh, there is this consecration that happens that Moses first commands uh, for the people of Israel so that they could receive the Ten Commandments as Moses went up Mount Sinai. This was God's command to them so that they would not sin. But not sinning, holiness, is not the absence of temptation. I mean, I really wish it was. But it isn't. The reality is that we are a people, a human uh, humanity, who are tempted. We are tempted to go after things uh, which might provide for us something that we feel we need. Whether it's in a moment or whether it's even kind of thought out in a strategic way. We are a people who are often tempted. We get caught in habitual sin, patterns of behavior that are bound up by anxieties and our need to escape them. For Israel, it was so formed around believing that God could do one thing, but actually there were other gods that could do something else a bit quicker. There was this temptation to go after things other than God. Well, Israel consecrated themselves, they abstained, they were washed, and they, uh, they were a people made holy by this action so that as the priests, it says in verse 15, as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. I kind of want us to understand that in this moment, there is something incredible that goes on. And it is that the holiness of God that is working through the priests touches that water and makes it part. The priests have to actually put their feet into the water, which I find fascinating. You know, why couldn't it be at arm's length? because that would have been a lot easier for them, right? Imagine what it must have been like for those priests, even them, the ones who were most used to the ritual and the ways of staying holy, that they had to put their feet into the water of this flooded river. They had to be brave to move through the waters of temptation and the voices that spoke against them saying, this will not happen. And then what happened? The waters moved and they see an amazing thing. Which leads me to my second kind of little point, that they had to be brave to move through the waters of fear. Now, uh, in the context of the ancient Near East and where Israel were and their own culture plus the cultures around them, water uh, meant something very significant. It represented chaos. It represented uh, the place where um, that, that could not be controlled. This is why in Genesis 1, uh, there is such a key description that involves God bringing order to the chaotic waters. 
And here we find Israel stood at the edge of chaos, having to believe that God could still work, despite what they saw in front of them. Now, of course, they'd already experienced something at the Red Sea, which for us, in hindsight, make us, might make us think, oh, well, they experienced that. Surely they'd have faith for the next thing. But I don't think it's uh, unfair to say that they were still afraid. Gareth shared last week, and we saw this repeat of the process where spies went out into the land uh, and had this incredible encounter with Rahab. Uh, and, uh, but there was still this fear in Israel, just like when the first spies went out. The land is full of giants. They weren't even sure if the promised land was the place they wanted to be. But they had to move through the waters of fear. They had to discover God's pre- uh, promise in that. And uh, for them, there was a huge uh, issue going on. They were a landless people. And the Jordan, this chaotic river, represented to them the difference between being a people who had a land and a people who didn't. Between landlessness and personhood. This was a huge thing to have faith to cross over in. So how did they do it? Well, they did it, and we find this out later in the verses in chapter 3, because God went ahead of them. This is the pattern. And we have to read really closely uh, to be able to keep seeing this uh, throughout Joshua, but this is the pattern that we will see time and time again. The people of Israel are able to do it because, they, because God goes ahead of them. And so we see it here, most vividly in the ark, but it's implicit in there that Joshua is telling the people that they can do it because God will go ahead of them. But the ark, as it goes ahead, uh, represented everything of God's presence with his people. All of his promise and all of his power. Power, holy power, that was so uh, electric uh, that uh, if you went too close, it meant death for you. So there was this raw holiness that Israel were dealing with. No wonder they were afraid. Uh, no wonder they understood what it meant to fear God and his holiness. Uh, they, but nevertheless, that as they followed the ark, they walked through on dry ground, through the Jordan, into the promise. You know, stepping out in bravery is not the absence of fear. It's just about how we deal with the fear and learn to look for God who is always promising to go ahead of us. Bravery is not the absence of fear. So to be brave is to know that there is temptation going on. There is fear going on, and yet God is calling us to go through into something new. I think for us, this is a real issue. I think fear and temptation are two of the biggest things that hold us back. You know, we might think it's because we're too busy or too tired, but I, I, I guarantee you underneath that, it's because there is temptation, there is sin that is draining you, uh, or there is fear that is uh, taking the, the kind of the land from under your feet. And no wonder, because those things are the very substance of chaos. 
the very things that want to take away from us uh, the stability that God has on offer for us. What would it look like for us to be a people who are able to move through temptation and resist temptation and who are able to manage fear and continue to be brave every day? What would, that look, what would your life look like? What would my life look like uh, if I wasn't giving into temptation or giving into fear? This is powerful stuff uh, because this is the gospel, the good news uh, that we know. And we know it through Jesus. So uh, just over 2,000 years ago, uh, there was a man called Joshua who approached the River Jordan. This was years and years, like uh, centuries after the Joshua that we've just read about. A different Joshua approaches the Jordan And this time the waters don't part. In fact, he's plunged into them at the hands of somebody else called John the Baptist. But the heavens open and are parted. And out of the heavens comes a bird. Some call it a dove. Others call it a pigeon. That's a separate thing that you can go and find out or ask me about. But a holy bird comes down. The way in which the Holy Spirit is seen by John the Baptist and, and rests on this Joshua. And a voice comes from heaven. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is just the Greek word, the Greek of saying the name, which in Hebrew means Joshua. Jesus came to that river Jordan, the same one. Amazingly, he goes plunged into the waters The only people who experienced that in Israel's story were the enemies that pursued them at the Red Sea. He takes not this man, the man who had no sin to get washed away, takes the place of the enemy and is lifted out again. This man who managed to resist temptation, who did not give in to fear, but said time and time again to his disciples, do not be afraid. This man, Jesus, comes and gives us access to this holiness that God wants to see work through uh, the whole cosmos, but on earth, as in heaven. And this Jesus, we discover, is the Son of God. He is the one who's able to do that, and he does it in one specific way. We see it exhibited in numerous ways throughout his life and his ministry. But when Jesus goes to the cross, when he dies, he enables a forgiveness which becomes the means by which all people might come into contact with the very holiness of God. He's the one who means that we don't have to stand 300 meters away from the ark anymore because he's the ark and he says come come to me and I will make you clean he's the one who says you can't resist temptation on your own but come to me and walk with me and follow me and I will find a way with you through the waters of chaos he's the one who says I will be with you always do not be afraid 
So in Jesus, we find the true Joshua, the one who is able not just to lead Israel through the waters of the Jordan, but to lead all of humanity through the things that get between us and God, the sin, the fear, the brokenness, the hurt, not just things that we've done, but things that others may have done to us. He is the one who makes a way through all of that chaos that we might find the other side. It's so interesting that what happens once Israel have gone through the Jordan and we've got all of that to come in the next preaches of the, the kind of the adventures going in with all the tension of that as we read it uh, in the book of Joshua. But Joshua commands Israel to find these 12 stones so that they might raise up something of a memorial to never forget what God has done for them. That as they practiced resisting temptation, uh, as they consecrated themselves, as they were brave even in the face of fear, they passed through the waters seeing God doing a huge miracle. And yet there was still this command because God knew that they could forget really quickly. And so they built this memorial, these memorial stones. And so when we look at Jesus, uh, of course, who is the one who we remember what it looks like to be led through the waters, that's why we get baptized, so that we might remember that we are a people too who need to be led through water uh, in order to be uh, claimed by God. We see that he doesn't lay 12 stones, but he does appoint 12 disciples. And so what Joshua does very much in the physical and material, Jesus does by empowering other people to be these uh, agents of good news and transformation. And so we see or, and we feel all the echoes of this, even in like Matthew 28, the Great Commission, uh, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them, taking them through water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now this means something for us personally, because it means that we are people who can, with Jesus, know that holy empowering. It means something for us as a body, this is not something that Israel could just do, Joshua could just do uh, as an individual. It was about the whole body of Israel going through these waters. What does it look like for us to pursue God, not just as individuals, but as a community? To be brave, not just on our own, but to be people who are brave in a contagious way amongst ourselves. It means something for us as a community. But do you know what? It means something for other people outside of our community as well. I'm amazed by the fact that whilst this whole grand narrative is going on, Rahab is in Jericho waiting for her, like, deliverance. She knows that she's safe because the spies promised her that she would be safe. There's a scarlet cord hanging from the walls of Jericho while all of this big stuff is going on for Israel. Because for her, from her perspective, 
Israel were on their way. The God who saves, the God who can part the chaos and bring hope was on his way. Sometimes I think the biggest wake-up call for us is that there are people out there who the Holy Spirit is already working in and they are waiting for us. They don't care about our issues. I mean, if they were really big issues, they'd probably care, but they don't care about our day-to-day like wrangle. They don't need us to be perfect. They want us to be people who practice resisting temptation and they want us to be people who start to show what it means to live a brave life. Not the absence of fear, but people who step out despite fear. There are people who are waiting for you who do not know Jesus today, but might tomorrow. This is the good news of God. So it means something for you personally. And there are personal battles that I'm going to pray in a moment that that God just really helps you move through today. It means something for us as a community that the things we face, even the larger context of slight chaos in our country, that we might be a people who, who persevere through that. But also it means something for those that we have not met yet, who God wants us to connect with so that they might also know the hope on offer. So I've talked a lot, but let me just pray. I wonder if the band uh, would come up as well as we move towards communion. There's going to be more opportunity to pray, but I just invite you now. In fact, why would, could we stand together if you're able to stand and that's comfortable? Uh, don't worry if it's not. Um, and can I just invite you to just still yourself?